Hey everyone, this is Lynn Bartan, and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. on the web at seu.edu slash apex or email us at seuapex at icloud.com. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. Hi everyone, so this is Lynn Vartan and I am still in Los Angeles. So that means this is another best of show. It's actually spring break on campus, but never fear, I have some best of clips for you. We're going to start with Emily Grassley, the great scientist and YouTube sensation who was on campus in February. Listen in, here you go. I want to start by kind of spending this first bit talking about how you came to be who you are today, which Mm -hmm. is such a great story. And I know you talked a little bit about it earlier, but if you could kind of give us another version of that painter turned scientist story, I would love to hear it. Yeah. So I won't go into all of the details, but essentially I I was uh, studying landscape painting at the University of Montana in Missoula. Um, I enrolled in 2007. And for the first about three years that I was there was really heavily focused on landscape painting um, as my as my source of inspiration and what I was going to do my senior thesis project on for my BFA. And it wasn't until I learned about the campus zoological museum, um, which is known as the Philip L. Wright Zoological Museum, that I really started to turn my attention toward um, why these uh, um, museums exist, why these research collections are uh, a part of a campus like that, who they serve, uh, what their role is, and then uh, how I could become involved. And so Essentially, I turned my last semester of college into an internship where I could uh, draw the specimens within the collection and then just gradually became more and more involved in the day-to-day operations of the museum, learning about uh, how the specimens were cataloged and organized, but also how how we obtained them, you know, what research projects they were associated with. And then I was volunteering in the preparation lab to actually help process and prepare some of these specimens for the research collection, which um, was a pretty interesting experience going from, you know, just la- uh, landscape painting to, you know, dissecting roadkill for Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks. So, so did it ever gross you out? Because I mean, I know some people, I mean, you came from a painting background. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's the because I know you also has grew up on a farm or near farmland that kind of, did it ever gross you out? I think it's just been more of like a morbid fascination mm-hmm. more than anything, um, especially when, you know, a lot of the the gross out factor associated with things like specimen preparation, it's more of like a cultural um, mm. stigma than it is like a, a natural thing. So, so what we've learned through the program that I do now, my YouTube show, The Brain Scoop, is actually the younger the viewers are, the less bias they have toward these sort of things. It's, it's more of like a cultural and societal, um, pressure that we put on, on kids, girls especially, once they're, you know, past the age of eight or nine to really, uh, enforce that gross factor. Ooh, don't touch that or that's right. nasty. Like a lot of that natural inquisitiveness is kind of stifled. And so, um, you know, once I started learning about the value of of these research collections and how I could contribute to growing them and making um, a, having a small role in a significant scientific discovery, um, it just I mean, yeah, sometimes it smells kind of bad and you're dealing with like gross hydrogen peroxide and and dealing with roadkill. But right. yeah, if you can get it beside all those things, yeah. it's really, truly it's an interesting fine. experience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you did you learn the process? I mean, I didn't mean to initially start talking about dissection so much, <laughs> but I'm kind of fascinated by it as the day goes on. Did you have to learn like the exact procedures? Because it's a very, I mean, it's very step by step, right? Or I mean, how did all that knowledge come? Did somebody show you? Did you read it? How, how did sort that of, yeah. So, so I started volunteering in this museum after I did my internship. I, I graduated from college and I kept volunteering in the museum. Um, and it was a friend of mine who, who introduced me to the collection who, uh, was actually one of the first people to, to help train me in specimen preparation. And it happened because the day she showed me to this, 
research collection, which I should also clarify, like this, this museum does not have public exhibits. It's purely behind the scenes, uh, 24,000 specimens, mostly Northern Rocky, Ma- uh, Rocky mountain mammals and birds. And, um, and so there was a number of like Montana natural heritage projects and fish and wildlife projects that they would collect voucher specimens and then deposit them in this museum for preparation and volunteers who were in part of the wildlife bio programs or the ecology programs at the University of Montana would help prepare them. And so she was one of these volunteers in the prep lab and she brought me in and uh, we walked into the prep lab and she handed me this Ziploc bag that had like a soggy mouse in it, this <laughs> yes, dead mouse. Right. The with, mouse story. <laughs> the mouse story with um, with this label, this informational label about where it was collected um, when, what time of year, what the habitat was like, the sex of the animal. Um, and this was all part of like a, a larger study, uh, looking at the distribution of rodents across Western Montana to see at what point of elevation they were occurring. And if that, that point of elevation was changing, were they going higher, you know, due to climate change impacting the, the average median or average temperatures of the Northern Rocky Mountains. So anyway, she hands me this, this, uh, Western jumping mouse, Zappus princeps is the scientific name. Wow. And she, she asked, do you want to prepare this? And I said, Oh, oh no 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 no! I, Emily Menigan, you know me. I I, I deal with paint brushes. Like I'm, this is not my thing. And she's like, no, I'll, I'll teach you how to do it. She's like, is, you know, did you ever take home ec in in middle school? And I was like, yeah. She's like, you know, you do a sewing project where you stitch things together. And I was like, yeah. She's like, yeah, it's the same thing. And I was like, oh. That remains to be seen, yeah, but we'll okay. See about that. But but she walked me through the process of making the first incision and separating the skin from the muscle tissue and removing um, the limb bones in a specific order. And and you know, after about thirty minutes, I had I had skinned this mammal and had um, the body separated from the rest of it from the hide. And then you create a little armature out of cotton and wire and uh, little small dowels. And essentially put that back inside of the body and then you pin it onto a board and it's called, it's called a study skin. So it's not meant to look like a live taxidermy animal like it was in life, but it now it's a research specimen. And that to me, the most important part of that whole process was that I, I got to sign my name on the label for this specimen, uh, as a source of accountability, mostly if yeah. a, a scientist in the future was going to look at this mouse and be like, this thing is prepared really weird. Who's responsible for this? Yeah. Emily Grassley, I'll, you know, <laughs> curse your name. But to me, it was almost like I, I felt a stronger sense of gratification signing my name on that mouse than I ever had signing my name on a piece of artwork. No way. It's it, fascinating. It was, it was overwhelming. And I think it's because I mean, the seemingly inconsequential mouse was going to be part of a larger history. It was going to be bigger than myself. It's part of a, a research project that's been going on for decades. You know, I contributed to science. And it wasn't just, it was this whole, like, um, kind of existential moment for me where I was like, art just seems so selfish and self, you know, interested. And yet here was a way I felt like I could make some kind of tiny positive contribution to my community. I could be a part of the history of Western Montana. And this all, you know, from a dead mouse, like (laughs) it was really an interesting. That came from a Ziploc bag. That came from a Ziploc bag, you know, and, and it was really a moment of revelation for me because I went home that night and I didn't tell anybody what I had done. I, I, I don't think I talked to any of my friends for a week because I I thought for sure I was a so like a sociopath or like sociopath or yeah. something like a psychopath. Yeah. I'm like what kind of person is so fascinated in like taking an animal inside out? And so I really didn't want to talk about it for a long time and, and um, started just, you know, continuing to volunteer in the museum and becoming more and more interested in it. And that's partially why I started documenting the process is almost like seeking validation from anybody, right? Like my friends or family. And they're like, Emily, that's weird. Like we don't want to see your, your dead animal pictures on our Facebook. And so instead I started posting them on Tumblr and, um, which was a blog site. I don't know if people still use Tumblr today, but I had started a blog after that, uh, documenting not just the preparation process, but a lot of the artwork I was creating in the museum and some of the other projects we were doing. And I I found an online community, like I found a digital community of other museum volunteers or other art majors who wanted to find their own museum collection to volunteer in, or even people who were, you know, amateur taxidermists who wanted to help bring some of these animals back to life. And so um, I I built up a following of about 10,000 people who started regularly reading my blog about the museum and Eventually, that that blog helped uh, to to develop the web series that I have now with the Field Museum in Chicago. Yeah, that is amazing. That 
that moment that you discussed with the, the changeover and feeling about putting your name on it. Do you, do you find it to be an artistic project process or do you feel that it's different than the artistic process? Well, I would say creating study skins, um, it helps if you have a background in art. I think, uh, you know, if you ask any or look at any of the volunteers or interns that we have at the field museum specifically, a number of them have backgrounds in art. And I think it's a lot of that has to do with hand eye coordination, right? Like attention to detail. Right. Um, I ended up teaching or being the TA for the vertebrate osteology class for graduate students at the University of Montana for a semester because as an art major, you're taught to hone your observation skills. And so when you're teaching graduate archaeology students how to differentiate certain kinds of animal bones, whether they're trying to identify them from a faunal assemblage of, you know, a native tribe that lived in that area 10,000 years ago, or if it's sometimes we would work with the Montana crime lab mm -hmm. and the police department and they would find a bare bone or someone would bring them a limb bone and they in the find in the middle of the woods and sometimes these hikers would think like i think this is a human arm or did this belong to a child or something and so they'd t take it to our comparative collection and i got to work with the montana crime lab to as a like a forensic osteologist to help them identify where this animal was coming from and we never had a, a human it was always like a ham bone or yeah. a bear bone or something like that but um but I, I was able to do that because of my background in art um and being able to understand the you know, morphological differences or the shape or the size differences between different vertebrate species. That's amazing. That's fascinating. Yeah. I love it. Okay, cool. So you got to kind of be a, like a forensic scientist in a way also, like a sleuth. Yeah, yeah kind of, you know, and, and I was mostly just a facilitator. I, I was working with the curator of the museum at the time, Dave Dyer, who was, you know, really had the background in um, mammalogy and osteology, but he taught me a lot. And, and um, you know, it was really fun to look at some of these cases and he would put out quizzes and, you know, kind of test your knowledge. And it, it, it was a really uh, fun game, but it was also, you know, had important um, educational implications to it as well. That's so interesting. I know that also um, in the dissection of animals used to be a requirement in a lot of school programs and then sort of went away and maybe is bad. How do you feel about that it being in schools now? Do you think that's a really important part of the, the science pedagogy? Well, I think it depends on the learner. Uh, ultimately, it depends on... Um, who it is you're working with as a student. I know for myself personally, had I had more opportunities to do more hands-on learning experience, uh, experiments when I was in middle and high school, I might've felt a little bit more empowered to think that, oh, I, science is something that I can do, or, or I can use my observational skills in this way. Whereas in my educational background, growing up in Rapid City, South Dakota, you know, we just, it, a lot of it just immediately went to like standardized tests and, right. and uh, no, you know, naming diagrams and, um, it really took a lot of the creativity out of it from my perspective. So, um, I think there's a true value in, in getting kids to be hands on, especially when it comes to things like that gross out stigma sort of thing. Yeah. Like if you can perpetuate a culture of curiosity and inquisitiveness rather than one that is just, um, wanting to, uh, you know, make, things from the natural world seem as though they're other or foreign or alien or bad or gross or weird, you know, anything that just fosters the, the genuine uh, question asking and answering, seeking motivations behind it, I think is worth supporting. All right. Well, that's a little bit about your backstory. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a little musical break and when we come back, we'll talk a little more about Brain Scoop, the awesome web show that you have and also your work at the Field Museum. So, you know me on this show, I like to introduce you to different music. The first song we're going to listen to is called Eye to Eye and it's by Jordan Raquet on the album Wallflower. And you are listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. It's the birth of a star Early other sunset It's the galaxy's water Flowing like a riverbed It's the rain, oh the rain Drown upon the summer day Grown into a supernova Back to where we used to play It's an infinity as it feasts on time Cause it constantly leaves 
perpetual design Cause we worship the key The tide is going out now As we look out to sea Legs sprawled and head down Yes, they shine bright like a million Let them bleed twice for a minute Pleasure to have met you You must start tonight To have felt this oh sublime Like a grain of sand traveling through time Pleasure to have met you You must start tonight Yes, they shine bright like a million Let them bleed twice for a minute Pleasure to have met you You must start tonight To have felt this oh sublime Like a grain of sand traveling through time Pleasure to have met you You must start tonight And I'd like to turn our discussion to the brain scoop. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how it got started? I know you talked this morning, but just for anybody who's listening to just a quick bit of how it kind of got started and then the transfer over to Chicago. Yeah. So um, after I started this blog uh, where I was posting kind of our day-to-day work on, on about the zoological museum at the university of Montana, um, I ended up meeting uh, this man named Hank green and he's a, probably best known for being half of the YouTube series vlog brothers. He and his brother, John green, or they've been making videos on YouTube for well over 10 years now. And super famous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to try and summarize like everything they do because they're such important roles in like the internet education and just like positive support network community online. Um, but anyway, Hank, happened to live in Missoula, Montana, where I was living at the same time. And we ended up getting connected because he was launching a new educational series called Crash Course, and they were doing a video about the vertebrate skeleton. So it made a lot of sense for him to come. Actually, he reached out to see if he could come film it in the collection I was volunteering in. And I was over the moon. I was so excited. And so that's how I met Hank. And he and I kind of talked on and off over a couple of months. And eventually, he came back to the museum and sort of long story short, I gave him a tour of the collection, which he uploaded on their Vlogbrothers channel. You can still watch it today. It's called um, 
Oh, she, what is that video called? Uh, <laughs> thoughts from dead animals. That's, That's what it's great. called. It's a thoughts from places. They do this series called thoughts from places. And this was thoughts from the museum. So he called it thoughts from dead animals. But anyway, you know, the, the response to it was so overwhelming. It's nothing like I'd ever seen. I mean, in a couple of days that had been watched a quarter of a million times and the overwhelming majority of comments on the video were just like, you know, we want to see more of Emily and we want to see more of the museum and you should give Emily her own channel. And so just a couple of days later, he, he emailed me and, um, I'll never forget getting that email because yeah. it, uh, he just basically said, well, people like this. I'm, would you want to be, would you want to have your own YouTube channel? I'd help you get it started. And I was completely blown away. Cause at that time I, you know, I was un recently unemployed, like mm -hmm. didn't really, wasn't the art thing wasn't going super well for me. And, um, <laughs> I was just kind of trying to get into like a master's museum studies program and figure out what I wanted to do. And this was a, I thought a great opportunity. I had no expectation for what would happen with it. Had so, you ever been on the radio or TV or performed? I mean, I know you played the violin, mm -hmm. but had you ever done any of that kind of thing like been on mic before well not not to that degree no i mean i took children's theater you know <laughs> and i did some drama performances in high school but i was also like a nerdy kid with a mouthful of braces so after like i mostly like ran the lights because i couldn't enunciate on stage at all and um i had done some like promo video stuff from the museum but like never really was coached in it you know and um, and, and so Hank came to me and he's like, well, you know, I'll, you can work with one of our producers, Michael Aranda, and we'll get you started with some basic equipment. But then he left the country for a month to go on tour with his brother, John, to promote the fault in our stars. So right. that John's, you know, young adult author. Mm -hmm. And so Hank just kind of left me and Michael and left us to our own devices. And when he got back, like our channel had just blown up. That's amazing. So, to what do you attribute? I mean, you're so comfortable and so charismatic on screen, on mic. Is I mean, is it just the passion for your subject? Is it just the curiosity? To what do you attribute it? Well, I would say the passion and the curiosity, certainly, but like that has to be fostered. And just the vote of confidence from somebody like Hank Green, like someone who has done this, who has been doing this, who has like founded and established educational programs that had millions of subscribers. And he and his brother some were then and are still now some of the best known names in like online education for that person to just email you after knowing you for a week and say, like, I think you'd be good at this. And just knowing that they probably don't tell other people that every day. Yeah, it was like. You know, after I'm a big Hamilton fan now, but it's sort of one of those things where you're like, I'm not throwing away my shot. Yeah, <laughs> and I just decided, awesome. like, I don't know where this is going to go, but I know I'm not going to like just half-ass it. So yeah. <laughs> we went. I just gave it my all, and um, and just and kind of went for it. It sounds like you are that way as a person, though. I mean, when you do something, you go all in. Like, you're not just gonna volunteer in a museum and bide your time, you're going to try to organize the collection. And I mean, th that kind of go get itness must also be intrinsically in you. I do have a lot of grit. And and that was definitely the case when, with me and my art program. Like, you know, you're supposed to start working on your senior thesis painting before your spring semester, right? And And I was already conceptualizing what I wanted to do like the summer before my senior year. And so you know, I, I've just always, um, I've just always had a lot of pride in being a hard worker. Like when I was in high school, I got my first job when I was 14. And yeah, so I've always worked hard and I, I've always, I've always put in the hours, but to me, like, that's, what's so gratifying about it is knowing that you really have done your best and, and put your best foot forward. And, um, so working on a, a YouTube channel that had an audience that had potential that was going to help me bring this museum that I'd already spent two years trying to bring to the public just was like, I'm going to go for it. I love it. That's awesome. Um, so now it, well, before, before I get to Chicago, it, for anybody who may be listening and not familiar with the brain scoop, how would you describe, how would you describe the brain scoop in like two sentences if you had to? <laughs> The Brain Scoop uh, is an educational YouTube channel that aims to share the behind the scenes work and collections and research with 
anybody with the world. So <laughs> perfect. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, and of course, for those of you who may be interested and not familiar with it, just Google it and you can find tons and tons of videos in a wide variety of different types of subjects and different angles, different locations. And we can mm-hmm. get into that too. So now the brain scoop is housed, the brain scoop is housed in Chicago in the Field Museum. Mm -hmm. And um, tell me about what life is like there. Yeah, so we'd been doing the brain scoop for a couple of months before we started to receive quite a bit of like media attention. So we'd been written about by NPR, um, Scientific American, there was like a note in a on a blog from Nat Geographic, like, it was incredible for me. And, And eventually, we gain the attention of the Field Museum in Chicago. And I got invited out to kind of do some videos with them. And after a couple of days, they just sat me down in this conference room and basically said, like, we'd like to bring you on board here and and bring your channel with you. And that was amazing to me as someone who just aspired to work in a museum someday in any capacity to have this new position created for me. I mean, I have the job title now as Chief Curiosity Correspondent. So, um that was an amazing experience. And so we brought the brain scoop uh, to the field museum in July of 2013. And I've been there ever since. So about four and a half years now. That's so cool. Yeah. What's a typical day in the life like for you? (laughs) Well, to be honest, a typical day is not that exciting. um, Because usually... (laughs) I don't believe it. (laughs) Well, it's a lot of like, there's so much planning involved. um, And there's so much like, production timelines and scheduling and like there is quite a bit of paperwork and budgeting and you know the that kind of back end stuff but but the really special days are when we get to go out in the field or when we get to interview scientists and so uh just a couple weeks ago we uh ended up filming in Berlin, Germany at the Museum of Natural History there. And so it, that was three months of planning and, mm-hmm. and organizing and everything. But once we're there, I mean I got to um you know, got to see one of the best, most iconic fossils of all time, the Archaeopteryx specimen, which is most of the, oh, wow. the famous, most of the, it was, it's the transitional species between birds and dinosaurs. Like it oh, is wow. a famous, famous fossil. Um, I got to be in the historic bird collection at the museum there. And the museum for Natakunda um, was established in 1814. So this museum is over 200 years old and has endured two world wars. So is it you know, one of the oldest? It must be. It's one of the oldest collections. Yeah. And, and certainly, you know, the building itself was built in like the 1880s. Um, but a day like that is just like you're, you're looking at specimens in a collection that are simultaneously like scientifically important but also like witnesses to history like the whole eastern wing of this building was completely destroyed by allied bombing in 1945 and so you're standing in like a reconstructed wing of this institution and just thinking about those decades and centuries of history and yeah i mean those are the kind of moments that i really live for and it doesn't matter that I had to spend three months of like paperwork and figuring out import permits for camera equipment or whatever else. Like, you know, once you're there, you really, um, I try to appreciate those moments. Sounds pretty magical. It's, it's pretty neat. Uh, Cool. Well, it's time for another musical break. The next piece that I'd like to show you is a piece called Nomada and that's by Kalima and it's on the album Nomada. And you are listening to the Apex Hour on Thunder 91.1 KSUU.
Welcome back. This is Lynn Vartan, and you're listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Today's show is a best of show. That bit that you were just listening to was from February, and that was when we had the awesome scientist and YouTube sensation and founder of the coolest YouTube channel, Brains Group, Emily Grassley, was here with us in February talking about her life and all of her awesome activities and travels. But now we're going to turn our attention to the outdoors. SEU is Outdoor Nation, and so in the studio, also in February, I was joined with Bridget Estep and Kevin Kuntz talking about all the awesome possibilities that we have here on campus for students, faculty, staff, and community members that have to do with the outdoors. Have a listen. And I want to rejoin our conversation talking about our cool partnership program that's called Semester in the Parks. So, Kevin, I think you're going to tell us about that. Yeah, the Semester in the Parks program, it's, it's uh, again, pretty unique to Southern Utah University. Uh, I like to think of it as uh, – kind of a study abroad, but rather than going abroad, uh, the students get to live uh, at Bryce Canyon. Uh, they get to work uh, at one of the resorts close to there. And during the course of the semester, they're able to visit all of our surrounding parks and monuments um, and different public lands. And they have a, a course load that kind of incorporates uh, the, the the themes of public lands and uh, preservation, conservation, uh, stewardship, um, and just kind of, uh, kind of honing those outdoor skills all together. Uh, it's a 15 credit. Uh, so it's an book. entire, I mean, as we said, it's semester in the park. So how does that work in terms of their normal course study? So it's, you said it's like a study abroad. So does it, do they just kind of take that semester and, and f- this is that semester? So it sort of replaces a semester, in a way, yeah. The uh, all all of the classes are taken, like I said, uh, as a cohort. So all the students have all the same classes together, and yeah, they they spend that whole that whole semester with that group of students and kind of visiting these different uh, amazing places. But it's really fun because the professors actually come to you and you have a classroom in Bryce Canyon right off the room. That's amazing. And from there, a lot of the professors are like, okay, let's go out into the park and, and look at the different aspects that the park offers to learn about the content in the courses. And they stay it where exactly? They stay at Ruby's Inn, which uh-huh. is just right outside uh, the, the entrance to Bryce Canyon there. And they also work, right? And, yeah, and- it's part of the uh, it's it's part of the the course load, really. Uh, as as the uh, there's a, the hospitality kind of portion of that, uh, and the students earn a certificate in uh, interdisciplinary park studies. Oh, that's great. So, what's an example of the kind of work that they're doing? I mean, they're they're waiting tables, or they're doing it. it- it does depend on really the student and the experience that they bring in. Um, but again, most of the students end up working in hospitality. That's the fancy way of saying you get to change a lot of beds Ah, um, and doing those pieces of it. But Ruby's Inn is really also dedicated to the learning experience. Mm-hmm. So one, they do need that work to be done. And part of the reason that this uh, experience works is because we're able to help them with the shoulder season. Oh, um, I see. So we provide those workers to do the hospitality work that they need to do. But on top of that, they're like, okay, let's give you some experience with guiding tours. Or, you know, we've had students that have had hospitality background, so they end up, oh, she also spoke French, so that helped. But she also, so she ended up working at the front desk. And oh, so I there see. are different things that you can do within it, but most of them end up changing a lot of beds. Yeah. And then how often, how many hours a day are they in class? Like how long is, what's a typical day in this semester in the park student? So typical days you wake up normal time um, and then you go to work and you work in the morning. Okay. You get a break and then you go to class in the afternoon and the classes, um, you have a different class focus each day. Okay. Um, So you'll have English one day and then you'll have Southern Utah floor the next day. You'll have criminal justice the next day. You'll have Americans in the outdoors the next day. And then every other weekend you have the field lab time with those courses and you go and visit Lake Mead or Gold Butte or Zion or Great Basin. Great Basin. Yeah. 
Um, so you really get to know the different parks uh, within it. Um, but you don't just visit them because you're looking at it through those different lenses and mm-hmm. trying to understand the parks. Like, all right, how does criminal justice help conserve this park? Right. And then how do, how in American and the Outdoors, you're really looking at like, what's the value of the parks to our society and how can um, the parks offer that experience to the visitors in the best way? And what's the visitor experience and how are those visitors managed? A, a lot of the same kind of challenges that uh, uh, Superintendent Jeff Brady spoke mm-hmm. about today during, mm-hmm. during uh, his presentation. And how, so the faculty for semester in the parks comes from uh, specifically the the faculty in the outdoor education area, or is it across the board? It's across the board. So in 2018 in the fall, we have Laura Walker from English. We have Sam Wells from biology. We have Kelly Goonan from outdoor recreation. We have Brian Burton from criminal justice. Um, and then we have Ann Smith also from outdoor recreation. And then I get to help with the field trips. Ah, cool. Yeah. And then, so they cut two weekends. They're 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 exploring and learning. And then, and do they? Is there free time set? I mean, do they come back into town? Do you know how they handle the rest of their time? I'm just it it, it does become again downtime. Well, I guess the best way to say is like downtime for them to have lives, right? <laughs> Which when you're doing an immersion semester, right, is really appreciated. And it's just time to do your homework, to catch up with friends. Um, to take the time that you need to make sure that you're rejuvenated and healthy. Explore the parks, hike the trails, do the fun things that are out there too. Yeah. Yeah. Such a cool concept. And this, this concept, we've been doing this for how long? Two years? Two years. We're going to be offering our third year. And it's each, it's both semesters or just the fall fall, semester. Fall semester only. Yep. And and again, if you, my favorite way to do things on the web is just to Google it. So if you Google SUU Semester in the Parks, it'll take you to that homepage, and applications are due mid-March. So again, They're already being accepted, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so now's the time, right? This is the time to be looking. If you're interested in this, I mean, totally go check it out. Yep. It's only – our cap is 15 students to be able to give the experience that we want to. Wow. And so we, we do need people to actually apply, but on time so that we can make sure that we get the best cohort possible. Right. So if you're out there and you're feeling super passionate about it, get on it right away. Google semester in the parks, SEU, and take a look at the application, but time is running out. It seems like you're probably getting pretty close to having that locked down. So that's such a cool program. And I, I think probably the, maybe the only one there's maybe something similar, but not to this extent. I mean, this is just such a special opportunity to have a study abroad, but yet also nearby, but yet in a completely different environment in Bryce Canyon. So, and and earn a certificate in a single semester, which, Mm -hmm. which is also kind of unique. That's great. And how do you guys feel about um, some of the topics that we were talking about today? Do you have any comments on, um, we were talking about uh, conservation, preservation. Do you have any suggestions or thoughts about anything that students or our listeners, anything we should be aware of that we should be doing or advice that you have that you'd like to impart? Uh, Oh, Bridget, you want to tell them about the sustainability minor? Oh, yep. SUU does have a sustainability minor. um, And we just worked with a group of faculty to rework it. Um, But it is a unique lens. And I guess the way that I look at majors and minors is it gives you a perspective to interact with the world. Um, Some of them you just dedicate to your profession, but otherwise, you can take the sustainability minor, add it to the major that you're doing and just see the world through a different lens. And so you'll be looking at and asking the questions is like, how can we help our society be sustainable? And in that, it's not just, I guess, the scarcity part of it, um, but it's being sustainable in how and really being like a healthy society. And some of that is going to be looking at the ways that we use energy, the ways that we interact with the outdoors, the ways that we build things and utilize resources so that it's not just for our generation, but it's for future generations as well. 
That's amazing that we have that as well. All right, I'm going to play one last song, and and then we're going to come back with what is fast turning into everybody's favorite part of the radio show, which is asking you guys about what's turning you on right now, books, TV, movies, all that kind of stuff, getting into the nitty-gritty and getting some inspiration for our listeners. But before we do that, I have one last song, and this one is not Valentine-related, but it's um, maybe Olympics-related. I've been watching a lot of the Winter Olympics, and... This is a a group that I mentioned last week called Grand Tapestry that I think is really interesting from their album titled Grand Tapestry. And this song is called Champion. And once again, you are listening to the Apex Hour on Thunder 91.1 KSUU. Shot popping, I'm off to the races all day. Stay on the grind, trying to get better every day. Train hard in the hallway. Running my laps, energy on tap, shine bright like the lights on a Friday night to the Sunday morning. I'ma get my champ like the song say, we go for the long way. If it's not worth, then it's not worth it. If it don't hurt, then it's not perfect. Cause I gotta learn. If it's not burning, then I'm not moving. Not putting in the effort, make a turn to the conduit. Cause the conduit is the God that I'm moving through. We're moving at the speed of light. Just to be the reader, right? Then was winning battles in the heat of night. Cause we gotta wake up a train. We gotta wake up the brain. We gotta take up a cause. We gotta pick up a lane. We gotta push it to the limit. I'm not waiting for another light to jumping in the track. Beats and on my feet. I wanna compete. I wanna complete. I'm not a petite, so I got big goals and I will reach them in the time I've been to be. I see the light. The champion provides the spark I need to make the final lap of victory. Way up into the stratosphere, though. You Jimmy, all I watch my fears go. Cause I'm your man when no one else shows. I'm your champion. I see the way you build me up and push me. I need you in my corner with me. The love you give me makes my heart beat, beat. Like a champion. Run and they run and they run and they run. Keep running, they run and they run and they run. Keep running, they run and they run and they run. Keep 
Okay, well, welcome back. Uh, this is Lynn Vartan. You're listening to the Apex Hour here on KSU Thunder 91.1. That song that you just heard is Olympic inspired. It's called Champion by Grand Trappist. Grand Tapestry on the album Grand Tapestry. We have just a few minutes left here for the Apex Hour this week, and we're going to do the thing that everybody seems to be loving, which is what's turning you on this week. Um, so I'm going to start with you, Bridget. What's turning you on? And it could be books, movies, TV, podcasts. What's something you'd like to share that you're really excited about? Well, I'm going to say that the book that has gotten me to think the most in the last six months is Florence Williams, the nature fix. And in that I get to talk about my soapbox um, because it's all about how the outdoors is good for people. Um, our brains are wired for it. It makes you a better thinker. It makes your body work better. It helps you create social bonds. It helps you create meaning for your life. And so it actually takes the time to go through the research and tell the stories that we all need to be connected to the natural world. And can you tell us the title and author of that book again? Yep. It's Florence Williams and it's The Nature Fix. You are not the first time I've heard of this book this week and stay tuned. We may be researching trying to get her out to SEU as an apex future speaker. So let's fingers crossed for yep. that. But I also have to say that I really... My passion in this world is to connect people to the outdoors and especially for learning. And I really have seen it time and time again. If you're a stressed out student in the library, take the time, walk around our beautiful campus because we have a park for our campus. So true. And I can guarantee you that your brain is going to work better and you're going to be able to focus and, and actually enjoy what you're doing instead right. of just being stressed out. Midterms are coming up, so everybody get outside and, and take a look around. That's great, great advice. Thank you. Kevin, how about you? What's inspiring you right now? Uh, I've been reading Glory Land. Glory Land. Uh, it's oh. by Shelton Johnson. It's the story of, uh, of a buffalo soldier who serves in Yosemite National Park uh, before the Park Service existed. Uh, and the parks were kind of being overseen by the cavalry uh, and kind of regulated that way. So uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting uh, perspective on uh, early early park maintenance, so to speak. That's amazing. Tell us the name and uh, the title and author again. Uh, the title is Gloryland, uh, and the author is Shelton Johnson. And again, another sort of Aplex plug, right? This has been one that's come down the pike as a, a suggestion for future events. So we may see what we can do to find these people on campus. Well, that is so cool. Do either of you have any final words or any final things you'd like to promote or announce? There's there's so many great uh, opportunities here at SUU. I know students often get bogged down with classwork. They feel like, oh, I I, I want to go on a trip. I just I don't have time, or I want to go to the park. I just I I can't get away from uh, this project or this paper or this presentation that I'm working on. Uh, you you got to you got to make the time. Really, you got to make the time to do the things that you want to do. Otherwise, you'll never find it. And I'll up the ante for that. Because one of the reasons that SUU has the EDGE program, especially the outdoor EDGE I'll put in, is for people to actually say, I want to learn. And then you fill in the blank and you create a project to do it. And the outdoor EDGE projects are the ones that I love so much because it's people that really want to learn or do something um, and then they figure out how to do it. So we have people that are, uh, one of my favorites is he built a canoe. Mm -hmm. um, and in that, he wanted to learn woodworking skills so that he could go out and, and be a better theater teacher. Perfect. In it. So there's projects like that. And so I think that you find what you want to do and you can turn it into your edge project. Get that requirement out of the way by doing something that you love. Well, I love it. Thank you guys so much for your time today. I really appreciate getting to know everything we have to offer here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And so you heard it all. If you want to, even anything from going camping, come down and check out the Outdoor Center here in the Sharwin Smith Center, right across from the Welcome Center. Or if you want to look at class offerings online or get involved with the internship program or semester in the parks, get busy with your Google and find out ways to get outside and experience our awesome landscape. 
Well, that wraps up another show for us here at the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. That was a best of show. You heard past moments from February of 2018 because we are on spring break and I am in Los Angeles saying hello and looking forward to getting back in the studio for more action to come. Thanks for listening. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.